This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome back after Thursday. Thursday coach Marcos Melitza is back in his regular slot here on the show. Uh, but I was saying to him, you all heard me say to him, and I'll say it for the benefit of our guests, as a minister, sometimes um, when you're invited to preach at a, and to be a guest in another minister's pulpit, the, the minister who invited you does not want you to preach too well lest you steal the pulpit. Uh, they might replace you. And so I was teasing Marcos, Brandy, uh-huh. that you were trying to steal the pulpit from him because you've been so good uh-huh. on, this, on the show. <laughs> on the show. Never that, never that. But let me tell you what he said. He said, listen, it's fine. I can see she's a genius. She's brilliant. I mean, you are oh. a living prodigy to him and to us. Oh, we, that's we, so kind. No, you're great. You're doing great work and we appreciate you. And she is covering that beat of the January 6th hearings, the latest one Thursday, the primetime hearing. Just before we yes. came on, Brandy asked me what I thought, but I, I'm, I'm going to tell her, but I want to really hear what she thought. Brandy, I, I, I expect, because congressional hearings are congressional hearings, all right? right. And they, usually a lot of them only have, they'll go on for hours and then they'll have maybe, you know, two or three minutes worth of clips mm-hmm. or snippets that are really relevant and meaningful and moving and compelling. Yeah, and, if you even have that, you know, right. usually it's just people talking at each other the whole time. That's right. That's right. And and but just when I expect th- these, it's like, well, what else can they say? What else can they reveal to us? Right. Here comes more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who gave them the outtakes from his speeches? I mean, that is gold. Well, that would probably be something that they obtained through the National Archives when they got Trump's presidential records. And, you know, I'm not 100 percent certain on this. I would have to look into it. But that would be my most educated guess based on everything else that they have received related to his call logs, related to the White House diaries, the draft speeches, all of that. You know, that was also something that Trump really fought very hard to keep away. And it was ultimately, you know, a decision all the way up to the Supreme Court. Uh, that he lost on appeal. He couldn't get it. He couldn't get it argued before them, uh, really. So, you know, that was it's really incredible that they were able to produce what they produced just by the transparency that was allowed through the National Archives, through Biden's waiver and through the committee's persistence. Yeah, that what we heard Thursday was even more damning Mm -hmm. and damaging. And it really gave us a timeline, didn't it? Oh, how he didn't do anything. He he. Right. Everyone else was scrambling, but he was utterly still watching it in in the White House dining room. Yeah, I mean, um, really shocking. You know, this was something that we have all known for a while uh, that there was this block of silence. It's 187 minutes. You know, it's more than three hours. Uh, but just seeing exactly how frantic uh, all of the activity was around him. 
And these were from people that were his most trusted advisors, members of his family, his attorneys, attorneys that had represented him when he was impeached. You know, these were people that up until that time he had trusted them and he just was so adamant uh, that things had to be a certain way. And we saw that um, with that footage. You know, we, we, we really saw, I think, what the clear motivation was. And I think that if I were going to describe yesterday's hearing and the evidence, I would describe it as being undeniable. You know, whether the Justice Department sees it that way or whether it is ultimately undeniable in a court, we'll see. But I think that it was just incredibly strong uh, presentation that they put forward in terms of getting people to understand what the motivation was, what he was or was not doing, and what was going on. And we've not seen, we talk about hearings again, we don't see hearings this well put together and produced. No, no. Uh, and a lot of times it's just both sides trading shots. But right. the evidence that they continue to provide, even last Thursday, mm -hmm. is really unassailable and irrefutable. It is black and white video evidence. You really can't. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, people have been speculating, well, Kevin McCarthy and them made a mistake and they probably wish they had been on. I don't know about that because what could they say? What what, yeah. what what on earth, uh, other than filibuster for time, right. how ridiculous would they look? What would they see say about Josh Hawley encouraging the protesters one minute and then him sprinting through the hallway? You know, I think there's a lot of legislators in Congress right now that are particularly craven for this reason. They know because you hear what they say in their private conversations. You heard in the hearing last night, we heard McCarthy talk about how he was done with Trump. He was sick of this guy and that, you know, he was he was fearful. He was scared. He wanted somebody to come help. And he couldn't understand in that moment why this was happening. And then after the fact, he condemned him openly. And that turned so quickly. And so now, more than a year later, we have the situation where. We have these lawmakers that will say one thing in public, and there's no concern, I don't think, whether or not what they're saying has any real meaning or they even believe what they're saying. I think that they are just carrying water this whole way through because they are desperate to cover their hides, you know? And I mean, I feel uh, uncomfortable saying it so plaintively like that, but to be perfectly honest with you, I, like you said, it's it's unassailable. You know, these are words from their own mouths. This is this is their actions that we're looking at. Um, so I think it's going to be really difficult for them to pretend like this is not an issue with most of the public that sees through this. But they're just going to keep towing that line. I mean, Josh Hawley today, I don't know if you saw it, he put out a tweet where he was hawking his coffee mug where with his famous fist pump. And his tweet above that, uh, a link to sell it, was an emoji, a blowing kiss emoji. This is, the, this is the kind of person that Senator Hawley is, or wow. this is the kind of people that he has hired within his office that feel comfortable representing themselves this way. So, you know, I don't really have any faith that these people are telling the truth when they get up and they talk in front of anybody, you know. Does, does Hawley think no one saw what saw the video? Of him running? I just think there's uh, there's no shame. You know, I think the way that it's justified in their minds and the sort of conversations I've seen about it as well, you know, what did you expect him to do? Did you expect him to just go and rush into the arms of these rioters? And those of us who see the way that he behaved up into that, it's like, well, sure, you know, you were more than happy to accommodate them before. You know, it's I think if you have common sense and you have eyes to see, you have ears to hear, you know, you can make sense of this here and you can see who is willing to uphold their oath who's willing to actually do the work of the people that they've been elected by, who's really willing to be a civil servant. 
versus people who are just completely beholden to power or to greed or to certain, uh, you know, autocratic figures. This eighth hearing on Thursday, folks, of course, had a very clear timeline, a chronology of events, January 6th. And Brandy recounts a lot of that in her latest piece at Daily Coast. Um, 2.24 p.m. And by this time, you know, everything is becoming undone. Right. He retweets, um, well, he had already retweeted his crazy speech. Right, at 149, I yeah, think. Yeah, that was 149. That was, yeah, yeah. And then the next thing he tweeted was an, another tweet attacking Pence mm -hmm. while the insurrectionists are mm -hmm. calling Pence's name. All of them have looked at their phones. And this video, this is the video of this, looked at their phones and, right. and saw what he tweeted. And they're even more incited right. uh, uh, to find Mike Pence. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a riot had been declared in D.C. around the same exact time that Trump had retweeted his video from the morning. Uh, you know, rioters had gotten into parts of the Capitol or had started breaching barriers while he was still speaking at the Ellipse. You know, we saw a photo of him last night where, one that I don't think we had seen yet, uh, where he had just come back into the White House after being denied uh, being taken back up to the Capitol, and he's still in his overcoat. Um, you know, he and it, I think the testimony around that was essentially that, you know, he was uh, just had arrived and was just getting sort of moved in. And it was kind of frantic in that space because there was conversations happening. There was awareness happening among his aides, among his lawyers, among a lot of people in the White House and everywhere else that something horrible was happening at the Capitol. But, you know, uh, he just essentially chose to sit back and make phone calls to senators while all this was going on. Uh, and was literally calling some of his Republican senators to help him uh, stop the vote, you know, when it would, whenever it would resume in the middle of this. You know, and one of the most striking images that we also saw last night was one of the last pictures of him taken on January 6th when he was leaving uh, the White House for the night, I guess heading into the residence, and he was with an aide, and the aide testified to the committee that the only thing they recalled Trump saying to him as he was leaving after the riot had been quelled, after all that had happened late, late, late in the night, was that he felt so betrayed by Mike Pence. That was his takeaway that night. And I thought that that detail was really important, but got, you know, with all of the other important details kind of get lost in the mix. No, that is important detail. Uh, also, I think one of the most dramatic parts of the hearing was when the law enforcement individual who, whose voice was altered for that person's own protection Mm -hmm. said that yeah. the, the chatter amongst the Secret Service agents in the Capitol with Mike Pence, they were calling their family members, right. Brandy, to yeah. tell them goodbye because they, not think, they yeah. did not think they were going to make it. That was, was something else. Yeah, that was really, to me, that was probably the most shocking part or the most startling thing that I had seen uh, so far in these hearings because it really just sort of drove it home how desperate that moment was. And I had even said to my colleague last night while I was covering this, um, you know, she was saying to me, I, this is just so crazy. I can't believe that, you know, these people were going through this. And I said, I know. And I remember that day so well, because while this riot was happening, I was covering it remotely. And I had all of my phone, you know, every single notification blowing up, every person I knew calling me, asking me, are you okay? Are you okay? Where are you? I know you went down there in the morning and this and that. 
And I just remembered the intensity of that moment. And that testimony really brought that alive. And it's been more than 500 days. It's been a very long time. And I think it's very easy. And I, I think we've talked about this before too. Like you look at this stuff and it, and it still kind of feels distant, even though the images are very visceral. But unless you were really inside of that moment, if you were you know, at the Capitol, if you were really directly connected to it, I think there's just this space that's created. It feels kind of far away for a lot of people. So for that testimony to come out, and show just the humanity of the vice president, of the Secret Service, of the aides, of people who were terrified of what was going to happen. And when the uh, the National Security Council log that they obtained showed one of the notations where the you know the Secret Service agent I believe had said it doesn't sound good at the Capitol right now. And when they asked this agent on the testimony before the committee privately, you know what did you mean by that? And the agent said, well, you know, I meant that people were calling me and they were essentially pleading, you know, tell my family I love them, give them my goodbyes. And we thought to ourselves, are we going to have to handle this with lethal force? How are we going to get out of this? How bad is this going to get? And the agent had said something to the effect of, you know, we realized that if we didn't control this, if we didn't get him out, Pence, this was going to go to a whole nother level, end quote, you know, was what he said about it. And so very, very scary moment for a lot of people. And I think it's important to see that because it, it was, I think it was domestic terror for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, and, and what the hearings have done is make it more visceral mm -hmm. for those who were not there. And you, and you think about this, everybody knows the Secret Service's job is if necessary right. to take a bullet Mm -hmm. for its protectees. This right. first time in history we are hearing Secret Service members conceding <laughs> that yeah. we may not survive. Right. And, and and these are trained, armed professionals. So if they felt right. that way, I mean, these are folk, you know, you would never dream would find themselves in that position or even imagine them being in that position as an outsider. Right. But these were individuals who felt so threatened by what was going on around them. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the the audio of the House and Senate leadership in the secure location, mm -hmm. speaking with the acting uh, defense secretary. Mm -hmm. that, uh, when has that happened? Right. In, in, I mean, I don't even think that happened in the Civil War. Yeah, I mean, that's stuff that even if you're a person who is, you know, close on the Hill, a reporter on the Hill in the regular press corps, you're not you're not in those actual spaces, you know. You're you're outside of those rooms, and so to be able to see some of that, uh, I think, was really important, and that was that was really jarring. Now, Brandy, there's there's some reporting uh, that there's a a watchdog somewhere, yeah. who is trying to figure out the the missing text messages, the text messages right. that were allegedly erased. What, what do we what do we know about that? So right now, I know that there's a criminal probe that Joseph Kafari, who is the uh, Department of Homeland Security Inspector General, who's basically like an independent watchdog, he's asked for a criminal probe to be opened into these deleted messages. And this had all sort of come about after it was revealed to the committee that the ones that they had sought were lost. And then the National Archives had asked the Secret Service to start looking into records preservation to figure out what had happened. And then they backed up on that, uh, not the National Archives, but the uh, the DHS OIG, the Inspector General, 
they asked him or he rather, I'm sorry, excuse me. He said, let's not do a probe just yet. You know, if we're going to do this criminal probe, we don't want you guys to investigate yourself because that's initially what he had asked for. And so now these secret service agents have retained private counsel. There was about two dozen of them that were tied to these deleted messages that were supposedly lost in a device migration um, that happens regularly. And it was pre-planned according to the secret service. So right now I think things are just kind of moving very much in the dark with what's going on there. I think that it's very interesting uh, that Kafari has taken such a strong stance on this. I think that that's a good sign. And I know that the committee is not going to let this issue go at all. And so I would expect that in the next week or two, we'll be hearing more about that. And as you said, it is two of these agents, right, that have retained counsel. I, I believe so. I believe it's at least two. Yeah, yeah. Um, lastly, September, they say they will. Mm-hmm. They're not finished, right? There's going to be more in September. Yes, yeah. So I think what we're going to see in September, by the way that they sort of described what they will do, which is review their interim report. This will look uh, a lot more like a typical congressional hearing, where there will likely not be any witnesses unless they've decided to call new ones. But if they're just going to meet to go over their report, it'll be a hearing where we'll get to hear again all of the findings, anything new that might have come up, where they're at on certain legislative recommendations or other you know, issues that they want to take action on. So I think we'll get a better sense of what all of these hearings have meant. And that will just be the interim report. And then there will be a final report that will be released after that. But I would say with the way things have been going, I wouldn't be surprised if we heard the committee say, well, you know, we're going to take in more witnesses or we're going to do more interviews. We're going to continue to collect evidence, which is what Thompson, the chairman, has already said. But I wouldn't be surprised to uh, necessarily see a, a pop-up hearing in between now and the interim report. Yeah, yeah, they've been good at those pop-ups and they've been meaningful, yes. for sure. Yeah. Folks, follow Brandy Buckman on Daily Coast. She has been uh, on top of the story and will remain so. And on Twitter, Brandy underscore Buckman, she's doing great work. Uh, doing some of the most in-depth work that any journalist is doing. So please check her out. Brandy, uh, of course, Brandy, as always, thank you for joining us on Make It Plain. Oh, thank you. Have a good day. You too. All right, Brandy, that was great. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand, and above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love, and please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.